If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 45th chapter, the book of uh, Jeremiah, as we continue our study through the Word. As we come to this 45th chapter, you will remember last time how there had been a conspiracy against Gedaliah and how he had been assassinated. And, and then the leaders were afraid that the Babylonians were now going to come and wipe them out. So they were going to head to Egypt. And you remember how they, uh, they went to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, will you go talk to your God and whatever he says, we are going to do. And you'll remember that Jeremiah said, I will go talk to our God and, you know, whatever he says, then then we will do. But I won't hold back anything. I will tell you exactly all that the Lord says. And and they said, yes, we we're going to obey it. If it pleases us, we'll obey it. And if it doesn't please us, we will obey it. We just want to know what God has to say. You'll remember that Jeremiah comes back to them and tells them, do not go to Egypt. And they said, you're a liar and we're going anyways. And, and so they head to Egypt and they completely disobey the Lord. They disobey the word from Jeremiah to them. And they take Jeremiah into captivity. They take the, the rest of the people and they head down into Egypt. And, and Jeremiah is there and we saw the ministry there in Egypt last time where prophecies uh, that the very things that they were running from are the things that they're going to run right into. And it just got me to thinking how fear does that. The, when you are in fear, you are now being pushed around by a bully. Fear is a bully, amen? And so it causes you to shirk back from what you want to do and what you even know is right. And yet fear, when it grips the heart, it will push us into places and influence decisions. Now, you remember that the number one negative command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. I am with you. Fear is of the enemy. Love casts out in fear. Trust the Lord and obey him. You will always, always be blessed for faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Amen. And when we're afraid, sometimes we're afraid to obey the Lord. Sometimes we're afraid to stand upon the word of God. Sometimes we're afraid to stand up for the things that we believe in. And, and that fear that kind of grips us and enters in. But it is always best to obey the Lord and to let the love of God cast out and get victory over the fear. They head to Egypt and and that is where they dwell and there is only going to be a small remnant that is ever going to come out of Egypt and so the very destruction that God had promised wouldn't happen if they stayed in the land. He says, I am your God. I will protect you from the Babylonians. The very thing that they were afraid of is the very thing that ends up happening. Egypt consumes them and very few end up uh, returning back again. As we come to this 45th chapter, this is a short little chapter. And it really closes the, the, the second section of uh, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is really in three sections. The first chapter is the call of Jeremiah. You remember that he was a young man when he was called and he was fearful and didn't feel like anybody would listen to him. And you remember 
how God said that he was going to strengthen him and that he was going to gird him up and he would make him into a fortified city, a bronze uh, wall, and that, you know, he is going to be with him. And, and that was that call of Jeremiah. From chapters 2 all the way through to chapter 45, this the, being the 45th chapter here, we see the ministry of Jeremiah as he is prophesying to Judah and to the Jews. You remember, though, that back in that first chapter, that God also said that he's going to make him a prophet to the nations. Now, we haven't seen the prophecies to the nations yet. That's the third section that we are going to see. Chapter 46 is going to begin now this next section where our group together, gathered together, not necessarily chronologically. So when they organized it, it was the call, then it was uh, the life and ministry of Jeremiah, and then it is the prophecies to the nations. And so we are going to begin looking at the prophecies of the nation. And Egypt is going to be the first nation that we are going to see these prophecies on. But this short little chapter here has to do with Barak. Now, Barak you'll remember who he was. He was that secretary of uh, Jeremiah. Remember when the Lord told Jeremiah to write down all of the prophecies, put them into a scroll, collect them. So Barak was the one that recorded all of the prophecies. Uh, then you'll remember that the king threw it into the fire and, and then they wrote another one, a, a second one. But Barak had a very difficult time because Nobody liked Jeremiah. Jeremiah, every, wherever Jeremiah went, they're like, oh, it's Jeremiah, you know? And so if you're associated with Jeremiah, then when anybody sees you, they're gonna say, oh, that guy's associated with Jeremiah, you know? And so Barak ended up, he was a friend of Jeremiah's. He trusted in the word that Jeremiah spoke. He believed in the Lord and, and he followed the Lord. He was, he was this really solid guy that just loved God and and we're going to see here that as Jeremiah is giving these prophecies of the destruction of the nation when you love your nation it's hard to watch your nation in decline it's hard to watch your nation head the the wrong direction you want to grab your nation and tell it to wake up and to turn around and and what are you doing why are you casting off all the blessings of God and, and walking right into judgment? And, and so here we see that Barak, as he is hearing these prophecies of Jeremiah and he and sees the nation, it, it, it grieves him tremendously. And, and it grieves him from his own personal standpoint because here he is living in a nation that's about to get judged by God, that's about to be taken into captivity here. God God has warned him and and now here is this man and he you know he has plans for his life he has hopes and dreams and aspirations and and visions and uh, and all of these things here and and yet Jeremiah is saying that but you know what the Babylonians are going to come in and wipe us out and take us over and you know and all of these things and so he's kind of caught into this place of how do you move forwards uh, in your life when the judgment of God is going to fall and 
So we see that, that the Lord is going to meet Barak and is going to minister to him and share with him the blessing that he has and the hand upon Barak that, that God keeps. And, and so here we begin the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Barak the son of Neriah when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah in the first in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying. So he writes this. This goes back uh, now to the 36th chapter, uh, back to when Barak was writing these prophecies, all the prophecies, sitting there and listening to all of the prophecies that Jeremiah is giving to him, and he's recording, you know, all of them. And, uh, and so this is the time stamp uh, that that we have and so this is the fourth reign of Jehoiakim that's about 605 uh, BC is the uh, the date on this and and it says thus says the Lord the God of Israel to you O Barak you said woe is me now for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow and I fainted in my sighing and I find no rest now here we see that this prophecy that Jeremiah is now giving is directed to Barak. Now, it's interesting here that the Lord knows his name. He calls him by his name. And that in and of itself is just spectacular. To stop and to think that God knows every single one of our names. Have you ever forgotten a name? For me, it's can I ever remember a name? Not, you know, have I ever forgotten a name? And can you imagine you stand before God and he's like, yes, what's your name again? I remember you. You know, I mean, if God forgot your name, you know, how terrible that would be. But uh, here's the truth of the matter. God knows every single one of our names. He knows us so intimately, so personally, and, and that is so comforting to know that, uh, that he has that love and that concern for each and every one of us. In fact, it tells us in the Bible that our parents gave us a name, but God has a new name for every single one of us, and he's going to uh, write our name down on a stone, and it's a name that uh, only God knows, and a name that he has picked uh, for us, and, and and once again, we, uh, we see the incredible desire in God to be connected to each and every one of us. That, listen, think about the, all the people and, uh, and that not only does he know their name, but he's chosen also to give them another name on top of that. And that just speaks of this amazing connection to our God. So he, he speaks this prophecy and, and it is to Barak. And, and we see that this is unusual because most of the time the prophecies were not addressed to an individual. And so uh, we see here that, that this is directed specifically to Barak. And, and we see that the Lord now says, I heard you. When you were saying these things, I heard you. Once again, the way that God sees everything and God knows everything. 
You remember how Jesus spoke to Nathaniel and said that before I was here, you were underneath that tree and you were praying. And, and he was like, my Lord and my God, it, it, that knowledge of God. And, and so he hears everything. Here was Barak and he was, he was crying out and he was distressed. He was discouraged by the, the prophecies that he's writing down that Jeremiah is giving him and uh, and so it, it wore him out we see here that uh, that he says woe is me for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow it's just sorrow upon sorrow thinking about the destruction of the temple thinking about the destruction of the people thinking about them going into captivity and and hearing the heart of god crying out to his people and and his people refusing him and and as barak is you know the scribe we see that he's writing all of this down and and it's affecting him it is grief upon sorrow now jeremiah also jeremiah is called the weeping prophet and uh, and that's because the, the, the prophecies that he gives, they're, they're heavy. They, there is the invitation always for the nation to turn around, that this, uh, their fate is not sealed if they will just repent and turn and get right with God. But they do the very opposite. They just continue in their uh, immorality, in their idolatry against uh, God and and so the, the heaviness of Jeremiah as, as he's declaring the word of God and the word of God has hope in it, but the people will not respond to, to that message of hope and to that message of salvation. Whenever we reject the salvation that God offers, destruction is assured. And that is true not only here nationally as individuals, but also eternally. You see, God has offered salvation in Christ Jesus to every single person. And when a person will not take the salvation that God has offered, then, then destruction is absolutely certain. And so we see here that, that Barak, as he has been writing down all of these prophecies, we see that he's heavy laden in his soul. And, and so you said, woe was me for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing and I find no rest. He lays down in bed at night, but, but he hurts. He, he moans. He grieves uh, over the, the future of the nation. And verse 4, it says, And thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I will break down. And what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is this whole land. We see that judgment is going to come upon the, the nation. And so God has declared the things that are going to happen. And, and so he once again affirms uh, that this hardship is coming. Now, many times godly people will endure hardships because of the sins of others. Because we are connected to others. And, uh, and so uh, we will endure hardship uh, because of that but we see that God also knows how to preserve and to protect us even in the midst of difficulty and hardship and and so 
the Lord begins by saying, I'm not going to relent on the things that I have declared. God says what he means and he means what he says. Amen. And so he, he says, I'm, I'm not changing my mind uh, on the judgment that is coming. I am the one that planted it. I will pull it up. I'm the one that built it. I will break it down. Uh, and that throughout the, the whole land. But in verse 5, he asks a question. And do you seek great things for yourself? And so here we see the ambition of Barak and the things that he aspired to. His life is before him and, and he's hoping to have this amazing, wonderful life and he's got his, his plans, his hopes and, and his dreams and, and yet that's going to be difficult when the nation is going to be destroyed. So what career path do you take when you know the whole nation is going to be you know, destroyed? And, uh, and so here, here he is trying to reconcile these things and and the desire of, of himself to you know to achieve things and you know maybe he was following in his father's footsteps and he had career and ambition and goals and and all of these things and and now he's wrestling with that fact that I'm never going to achieve much what's and that that was a disappointment now coming to a, a point to, uh, where if that's not what uh, what I am going to accomplish in my life, then what am I going to accomplish? And so he was, you know, going through this introspection and this lament uh, uh, over, you know, his career reconciling it because he believed the things that Jeremiah was saying. He believed God and everything that he was writing. And so this now was conflicting him with the, uh, with the plans that he had for his life. And and so we see that uh, the Lord asks him, and do you seek great things for yourself? He says, do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. He says, there is no career path that you can take right now that, uh, that is going to end uh, in, in, in glory. He says, and, uh, and so don't, do not seek uh, them. He says, because I will bring adversity on all flesh. And so it means that the judgment is going to be across the, the whole land, says the Lord. He says, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. And so we see here that God promises now that regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in, that his life is not going to be taken, that there is a, a hand of protection of the Lord. So when the Babylonians uh, siege Jerusalem and Barak is in there, he knows that, you know what, I am not going to die. I am not going to be killed in this siege. When Barak is taken into Egypt with Jeremiah and, uh, and all, Barak knows that God's promise is, is that his hand of protection is going to be upon him. And, uh, and so we see here the Lord is telling him, rather than being sad over what you don't have, let me show you what you do have. The death and destruction around him and the people that are taken into captivity in Babylon that are cut down and, and their lives are cut short. We see that Barak uh, is given a long life and that God blesses him with that. And, and so we see the, uh, the encouragement now that, uh, that the Lord gives uh, to him. 
and the promise uh, of his protection, that your life, uh, your life uh, is such a gift. It's such a, a blessing. Every single day is a gift from God. Amen? And no one knows the number of days uh, that we have. Certainly with COVID, we have seen a lot of lives uh, cut short. And we have certainly come to value family, relationships, time together, and community. We lost community. We're coming back into community again. And, and this has all been a part of the things that are shaping and forming who, who we are. And yet, as we have gone through all of it, Romans 8.28 says that what things? All things are working together for good for those who are called by God and loved according to And so we see here that even in these things, God is changing and fashioning our faith, sculpting it and shaping our relationship with him, our trust, our dependence, shifting our values, helping us to look at things differently through a different lens and, and even corporate worship and coming together in the fellowship, the community of believers and, and just the sweetness of that and the intimacy that we have the koinonia that God created us to experience and to enjoy when two or more are gathered together there I am in your midst uh, and the way that God is honored when we lift our voices together when we uh, worship him and and so here we see that the providential care, the hand of God was going to be upon Barak and, and God promises him that your life I am giving to you and that is your prize. And so Barak will readjust now his goals and instead of being sad about the plans that he had made in his life he now can be thankful for the special blessing that god has given to him uh, in his life as we come now to chapter 46 we see that this begins as we had said the the prophecies concerning the nations chapter 46 through in chapter 51 so in chapter 45 concludes now kind of the the prophecies in the ministry of jeremiah to the nation and so now to the nation of judah and now it is going to be to the other nations uh, here and and so the other nations didn't escape the prophetic uh, eye of jeremiah we see that now he is going to record the things that god has to say is he is going to judge uh, now the other nations if god judges his own covenant people then he certainly uh, is going to judge those outside of the promise of God and and so we are going to uh, see these now pronounced uh, we see that the first nation uh, to be listed uh, here is uh, Egypt and uh, and Egypt was uh, oftentimes an ally of the nation of uh, Israel during the time of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and uh, and these major powers Egypt Assyria and Babylon these were the three powers the major powers that were rising and falling during this time period here and uh, and so we are going to uh, see now that uh, that the nation had trusted in Egypt. They had believed that Egypt could help them. And, and there's nothing wrong with getting help. 
But God was saying, I am your help. I am your protector and I am your defender and I will take care of you. And they didn't trust the Lord. And, and so they went to try and help themselves. They went to go and, and try and secure this assistance from Egypt. And, and Egypt proved incapable in the end of providing the security that they were hoping for and that they believed was going to be there. And so there is a, a judgment against uh, Egypt uh, here. And, and it says, the word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah the prophet, verse 1, against the nations, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Karshemesh, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, and king of Judah. Now, we see what had uh, happened was that Assyria, you remember, had taken the ten northern tribes uh, into captivity. And, and Assyria was north of Babylon. And, and so Assyria uh, had ascended and it was now in a state of slight and decline. The Babylonians, they were increasing in their power. And Nebuchadnezzar married the daughter of the Medes, of the Medo-Persian Empire. And so the Medes and the Babylonians were connected now in this alliance. And so they then collectively together uh, went and attacked uh, Assyria. Assyria got pushed out of, you remember Nineveh was its capital, it gets pushed out of its um, capital uh, and they retreat and they uh, hole up in Haran. Another year goes by and, and the, Medo, the Medes and the Babylonians come and attack them in Haran and they're forced to retreat to Karchemish. And it was there in Karchemish that uh, they had called out to the Egyptians and asked the Egyptians to bring their army up to fight against the Babylonians and the Medes that were allied together. You remember that it was Pharaoh Necho that then marches his troops. And as he's marching his troops past Israel, that's when King Josiah brings his soldiers uh, out uh, and wants to fight with him. And Pharaoh Necho says, I don't, have a, I, I don't have any bone to pick with you. I'm on my way to, to fight a different battle. And you'll remember that Josiah uh, engages uh, in the battle with the Egyptians there. And that's when Josiah dies. Uh, King Josiah dies in that battle. Uh, and the Egyptians continue up uh, on their way to Karchemish. It was there at Karchemish where this incredible battle takes place. The, the last of the Assyrian army gathered together with the, um, with the Egyptians are battling against now the Babylonians and the Medes uh, together. And in this battle, what happens uh, is, is that the Egyptians are routed. I mean, they are absolutely destroyed. There was great confusion in the battle and suddenly now they, their retreat was blocked as their own army couldn't retreat fast enough. And not only did they lose the battle, um, but the Babylonians
Thessalonians uh, ended up chasing them down and destroying every single one of them. And so we see that Karchemesh was now uh, the time when the Babylonians came up into power and we see that the Egyptians ultimately now lost their power at this great battle of Karchemesh. It will be quite a period of years and all this took place uh, up in Assyria but we see that uh, eventually the Babylonians are going to come against the Egyptians in Egypt and they are going to come all the way down and they are going to take over Egypt and to destroy them. We see here that this is the prophecy now that Jeremiah is giving about the future of the Babylonians that have yet now to come uh, and they are going to come down into uh, Egypt uh, as the Babylonian Empire becomes that dominant world empire. So that's the history behind the battle of Karchemesh that here uh, is being referred to. And so concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Karchemesh, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the, first, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Verse 3, order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle, harness the horses, and mount up, you horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets, polish the spears, and put on armor. So he's talking to the Egyptian army now. Get, get yourselves ready for battle. Get your, your horses and your helmets and, and your spears and your armor. Verse 5, why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? Their mighty ones are beaten down. They have fled. They have speedily fled and did not look back. For fear was all around, says the Lord. It, to this day, is not completely understood. The Egyptian army was a very disciplined army. And, uh, and suddenly here they lose their discipline and, uh, and they become confused and they become fearful. They break their ranks and they just collapse uh, in this battle here. Uh, and now suddenly they are in full uh, retreat. Verse 6, do not let the swift flee away nor the mighty man escape. They will stumble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. And, uh, and so here we see that the swift attack of the Babylonians left the, the Egyptians. Uh, they, they were terrified and, uh, and we see the, the warriors now, the panic-stricken soldiers, they, they just flee uh, in haste, uh, but they are not able to flee fast enough and they weren't strong enough to be able to escape. And so the Babylonians overtake them and destroy them. Uh, and so we see verse 7, who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. And, and so he's talking about the aggression of the Egyptians. The Nile River uh, would always rise up and overflow its banks and, uh, and the water of the Nile would uh, spill out. And he's saying, 
Who is the nation that's rising up like a little river and wants to dominate and come out of its banks and, and over the world? And so he's talking about the aspirations of the Egyptians. And, and he says that in verse 9, Come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots, and let the mighty men come forth the Ethiopians and Libyans who handle the shield and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow. We see that not only did the Egyptians have their army, but also they had mercenary soldiers uh, now from the Libyans and from the Ethiopians. And, uh, and so the, the soldiers and the infantrymen uh, were now a collection of mercenary soldiers, professional soldiers added into uh, their ranks uh, as well. And it says, and for this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour. It shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts uh, has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. And, uh, and so here we see that that day of battle Jeremiah is declaring belongs to the Lord. The Lord is the one that created that confusion in the army. And he did this as a judgment against the Egyptians for them rising up over their banks and, and for their aggression. This is interesting to me that the Lord raises up nations and takes down nations. The nations rise and nations uh, fall. And in uh, all of that, uh, God sees. And all of that we see is part of the history of the world and where we are going. We know the end from the beginning. We see that God has declared in the book of Revelation the things that will take place, that must take place. Not might, but absolutely will take place that these things will transpire, that the whole world be prepared for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His second coming to earth when He is going to establish His kingdom here upon this earth. That there is going to be a collection of nations that is going to group together, that we are going to see technology explode, that we are going to see the, the technology come underneath the one world uh, government and ultimately a one world leader, the Antichrist. These are the things that are taking place even in the world today. We see the underpinnings of these things moving forwards exactly as God knows that they will. And, and as we look all the way back to Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, what does God say through Jeremiah? I was the one that defeated the Egyptian army there. You remember when the Egyptian army chased the nation of Israel into the Red Sea and, uh, and God destroyed the army of Egypt uh, there as well. And so we see that God oftentimes is working supernaturally through the natural. No doubt the Babylonians thought that they were the ones that wrought that victory because of their great army. But it was God who says that Babylon is my servant. I'm just using them as a tool, as an instrument in order to bring my judgment. And 
And it's so important that, that I think that our nation recognizes that God is the one that exalts a nation. God is the one that blessed uh, our nation. We sing, God bless America. And, and I think that sometimes we can think that democracy is what made our nation great. And we start to give credit for our form of government and, uh, and for our science and, and for all of these different things. That, but God took a, a nothing nation of pilgrims and turned it into the greatest superpower in the world in this incredibly short span of period uh, of time and and that was god that to god be the glory great things that uh, that he has done and you remember that the founders of our nation and throughout have wanted to put god's name on everything and everywhere to give him glory and honor so that we would never forget and never think that we are a great nation because of ourselves, because we are inherently better than other people in the world. And, and this is what has made uh, our nation great. God is the one that made our nation great. Period. End of story. <laughs> Exclamation mark. He is the one that exalted us. But... He is also the one that will humble us when we begin to become prideful and think that we are the ones that made ourselves great. The Egyptians were prideful. They wanted to spill over their banks and be a, a world power and take over and conquer the, the world. And we see that God brings a judgment against them, brings the Babylonians and the Medes into a battle with them. And suddenly they get confused and brink ranks and are completely destroyed. Jeremiah wanted us to know that, that this highly efficient, well-trained army didn't just become confused for no reason and, uh, and didn't break rank for, uh, for no reason. It was the Lord. This was a judgment uh, of God. And so we see here that the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. In verse 11, go up to Gilead and take balm. Now remember that the, the, the balm of Gilead was a healing balm uh, there in Israel. And, and so it had medicinal purposes and <laughs> they would use it for wounds and, and all sorts of things. And, and so uh, they say, go up to Gilead and take balm. Get the balm from Gilead. O virgin, the daughter of Egypt, in vain. You will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. The nations have heard of your shame and your cry has filled the land for the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty and they both have fallen together. Uh, we see that even if the Egyptians were to go to Gilead and, and to get balm for their wounds, it says that their remedies are, are not going to work. They're going to be in vain because this was a judgment from God. And so they are not going to, God is not going to permit to them to be healed of their wounds. The, the warriors are going to stumble over one another and they would fall down together in defeat. And so that is the, the battle of Karchemesh and, and the prophecy of that battle here. And in verse 13, we see that now there is the future strike of Babylon against Egypt. The word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet. 
how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land uh, of uh, Egypt. And so it's about 30 years uh, after Karchemesh that this prophecy is fulfilled, that Babylon continues to expand and consolidate their strength and their power, and, and then ultimately they come down uh, against uh, Egypt. And so we see that God gives Jeremiah additional details of the coming of Nebuchadnezzar into Egypt to attack. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal. Proclaim in Noth and in Tapanas. Say, stand fast and prepare yourselves for the sword devours uh, all around you. Now, uh, these were the same cities back in chapter 44 that uh, were mentioned, Migdal and Memphis and Tapanas. And, uh, and so we see here, this describes the locations. You remember that they went down to Tapanas, uh, the Jews did, and then they spread out to Migdal and to Memphis uh, there. Well, the judgment now, the Babylonians, what, they went down there, you'll remember, to get away from the sword of the Babylonians. They were afraid of staying in their own land because they were afraid of the Babylonians. And God warned them through Jeremiah, if you go to Egypt, the sword is going to follow you into Egypt. Famine is going to follow you and destruction is going to follow you into Egypt. Do not go to Egypt. So they go anyways, you remember, and they go to Tephanus. And then from there they go to Migdal and then they also go to Memphis. And now Jeremiah is prophesying that, guess what, the Babylonians, they're coming to Migdal, Memphis, and to Panis, the very places that, uh, that you have gone. The army of Nebuchadnezzar is going to come, and the sword is going to devour all around you. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand, because the Lord drove them away. And so we see that uh, the question is asked uh, and then it is uh, answered. The warriors couldn't stand because God is the one that had pushed them down, pushed them away. He made many fall. Yes, one fell upon another. And they said, Arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our nativity from the oppressing sword. Now, this is talking about when the Babylonians come down, they have got all their mercenaries from the other nations that are collected together to help stiffen Egypt against the Babylonians. But when the Babylonians show up, the mercenaries take off. They're like, you know what? We are going back to our own nations uh, here. And those soldiers depart back to their nations and and so they cried there Pharaoh king of Egypt is but a noise he has passed by the appointed time in other words he's nothing but noise he's talking hot air he says how strong Egypt is and he he talks a really good game but uh, the Babylonians are the ones that have the army and have the strength and so when they see the strength of the Babylonians the, the, the mercenaries depart and head back to their own nations. And, uh, and so, as I live, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely as Tabor is among the mountains and as Carmel by the sea, so he shall come. Oh, you daughter dwelling in Egypt. Remember, that was where he said, do not go. He's talking to the, uh, to the Jews that have head down there. He says, oh, daughter dwelling in Egypt prepare yourself to go into captivity for naught shall be waste and desolate without inhabitant and 
And so we see that, uh, that God is telling them that he's going to send someone to Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who is above all of the other hills, like uh, Tabor is above uh, Mount Carmel. And, uh, and so Mount Tabor is the tallest mountain in the mountain range uh, there next to Israel. Mount Carmel uh, is just a small, small in comparison to Mount Tabor. And uh, and so here we see that he's going to rise as, uh, as impressively as Mount Tabor stands out among the mountains. Egypt is a very pretty heifer, but destruction comes. It comes from the north. And also her mercenaries are in her midst like fat bulls, for they also are turned back. Here we see that God is describing them as offerings. You, you would offer bulls, you would offer heifers and sacrifice. And so here we see that he is just declaring that, uh, that they are going to be a sacrifice. They're going to be slaughtered by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his army. They... For they also are turned back. They have fled away together. They did not stand. For the day of their calamity had come upon them. The time of their punishment. Her noise shall go like a serpent. For they shall march with an army. And come against her with axes like those who chop wood. So here we see that they're going to be as helpless as a, a serpent against uh, woodcutters with axes. Uh, and all they're going to be able to do is hiss and, uh, and slink uh, away uh, here. In verse 23, they shall cut down her forest, says the Lord, though it cannot be searched because they are innumerable and more num numerous than grasshoppers. The daughter of Egypt shall be ashamed. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. And so it says when the army comes, they're like locusts. Their numbers are so large. You can't even count the number of soldiers that, uh, that came. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I will bring punishment on Ammon of Noah and Pharaoh and Egypt with their gods and their kings and Pharaoh and those who trust in him. And I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. And afterward, it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, uh, says the Lord. So, Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy their gods. He's going to destroy their, their kings. He's going to bring punishment uh, uh, upon Ammon. Ammon was uh, god of Thebes. He was the chief god of, uh, chief god of Thebes. And, uh, and so here we see that the judgment is going to begin in the north of Egypt, and then it is going to extend uh, south. And, and we see here that also it declares that Egypt is not going to be totally destroyed. In other words, it's destroyed for a period, but then it is going to rise up again and become inhabitant as it is even to this day. But do not fear, verse 27, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be at ease and no one shall make him afraid. And, and so in contrast with Egypt, uh, we see that uh, Israel is told uh, not to be afraid. She could rejoice because God promised uh, to return her people from uh, exile. And verse 28, do not fear. 
O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you. For I will make a complete end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. And so here we see that this prophecy ends uh, with the promise of the nation of Israel that she will one day be back in her land again, that she is going to enjoy peace and security. And, and so we see the declaration of God, do not fear. God is in control, amen? Tonight, God is in control of every situation and every circumstance, and, and you can trust him. Even when it feels like the Babylonians are going to come and, and we are defenseless against them, God says that I am with you. I am for you. He says, do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, for I am with you. And that's really the, the key thought that I wanted us to leave with the, here today is, is the presence of, the God, of God in our lives, the power of God in our lives, and the fact that regardless of what's going on in the world, in the same exact uh, way that God had promised uh, Barak, he said that even though judgment is going to come upon the nation, you are going to be spared. My hand is going to be upon you. You have nothing to be uh, afraid of. And, and so, once again, God doesn't want us living in fear. He wants us uh, trusting him, living by faith, uh, and living each day that he gives to us, knowing that our life is a prize. And that he has given us the exact number of beats of our heart. And, uh, and he has given us the number of breaths uh, for each and every one of uh, our lives. And in it, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And we can always surrender our will to his will and let him lead us. We see the judgments that were told we're going to come upon the nation could have been averted over and over God says that he would relent if they would but turn and so it's never too late to turn around and to trust in the Lord from wherever we are in our life and wherever you find yourself today today is the best day that I can think of to trust in the Lord and obey him amen and so it doesn't matter what yesterday was, but today is the day. And, and God is ready to receive us, welcome us, wash us, fill us, bless us, and then lead us and guide us. And so uh, may we just seek his direction in our life and know that all things are working together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for this night. And God, just the opportunity to, uh, to see how you work supernaturally through the natural and how you raise nations up and how you take nations down. And, uh, and so, Father, we, we thank you. We ask that you would bless our nation, Lord. We ask that uh, you would help each and every one of us to not be afraid, but to be completely confident of the truth that you are with us. And so, God, bless your children. Bless us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.